Welcome to Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. I am Michael Ashton. I am the Inflation Guy. I am your host, and Happy New Year. This is the first podcast of the year. Uh, the last podcast we did in 2023 was the CPI report, and the first one in 24 will be the CPI report because I'm the Inflation Guy. I'm all about inflation, so it makes perfect sense. Seriously, taking taking a break every now and then is is good for almost anything that you almost almost any endeavor that you pursue. It's good to sometimes step back a bit, and it just sort of worked out this time that that I decided to stop right after the CPI report in December, and uh, and then I didn't get around to doing a podcast the first week of of January. So it sort of worked out that we've got these back to backs, um, and uh, and and consequently, it's actually it's it's convenient and. Um, and nice that uh, that the CPI reports kind of were telling a similar story. It would have been kind of weird if I had said one thing in December and then in January I had to say exactly the opposite thing. So that's kind of nice. Um, before we get into all that, let me first uh, ha- tell you about our sponsor. <clears throat> this episode of Sense and Sensibility is sponsored by Simplify ETFs a fast-growing manager of alternative ETFs solving today's most pressing portfolio challenges. Not only do they have sophisticated diversifying strategies like a managed futures ETF or a yield curve play like TUA, they also have the number one best-performing intermediate core bond fund from 2023 in AGGH and an enhanced income ETF, ticker HIGH, that was in the top 2% of its category. Check out their website at simplify.us, and you can find their entire lineup of ETFs at simplify.us slash ETFs. And the trivia question for today, and by the way, thanks again to to Simplify uh, for sponsoring us again in 2024. The trivia question today is, what is Alfred Winslow Jones generally credited with creating? I won't say inventing. We'll say creating, and and uh, maybe we can debate that later. But <clears throat> and then one more thing before we get to the CPI. You know, yesterday uh, the SEC approved a bunch of uh, Bitcoin ETFs, and uh, the amount of of ink that's been spilled on this, the amount of enthusiasm for these Bitcoin ETFs is. Um, it's unseemly, frankly, for those of us who are older and more conservative and um, uh, possibly a little bit of a Luddite. Um, but it, it's, you know, it, I, I, I suppose that this was sort of the natural extension of the whole Bitcoin craze. But <clears throat> here's, here's my two cents uh, on on. on on this development, and I guess on Bitcoin generally, if if crypto, if Bitcoin is supposed to be money, then we're talking about an ETF to hold dollar bills or yen or pesos. Okay, which doesn't sound super exciting to me. That sounds to me to be pretty boring. Um, you know, yes, it's a very exciting foreign exchange rate. Um, it moves around a lot. But I'm not sure why over time I would necessarily think that that's going to be an investment. At best, it's a hedge for, for uh, you know, how you think that foreign exchange is going to move, except that no one has a natural exposure in crypto 
that they need to hedge. So the hedges all go one way. Um, and again, I'm not really sure why that would happen. So that's if, if it's supposed to be money, that's weird. And if it's not supposed to be money, then first of all, everything that we've been told is 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 bogus. But if it's supposed to be an investment, then I can see why an ETF is is interesting. To you know, ETFs allow you to access a lot of stuff that you couldn't otherwise access as retail investors um, or in any kind of liquid way. And so that would be interesting, except that if it's an investment then we go back to the problem of how do you find intrinsic value? And finding intrinsic value for Bitcoin or for crypto generally is sort of hard to do if it's not actually backed by anything. And, and, and if you can't tell me what the intrinsic value is, then I really have no interest in, in, in investment. Um, I'm not interested in investing in something just because I think somebody will buy it at a higher price later. So it's either foreign exchange in which case, I don't understand why it is interesting in an ETF, or it's something that's really interesting in an ETF, but I don't have any interest because I don't, I can't think of how what intrinsic value is, and it just sounds like a speculative play for me. But again, I'm a Luddite. Let's go back to one, one thing I'm certain of is it has nothing whatsoever to do with inflation. And so perhaps that means I shouldn't say anything more about it, but people think it means it has something to do with inflation, and that's why I talk about it. <clears throat> Um, enduring investments does not involve itself with Bitcoin and crypto in any way other than to occasionally write about it. Um, and, um, and that's likely to stay, uh, stay the case. So the CPI report this morning was above consensus. Um, consensus going in was for 0.25% on core CPI, and we got 0.31%. And that's actually a in the old days, that would have been considered a fairly large miss. These days, you know, we occasionally miss by whole tenths and things in the last few years. So that's not an enormous miss, but it's a pretty decent miss. Um, and, you know, the first thing that I think that people sort of looked at, the first thing that kind of jumped out at folks was that rents um, were again somewhat uh, frothy, a little bit higher than people had been expecting Um uh, owner's equivalent rent was 0.47% month on month, and, and primary rent, rent of primary residence, was 0.42% uh, month on month. And um, you know, those were, I guess, owner's equivalent rent was a, a little bit um, similar to what owner's equivalent rent was last month, and primary is down a little bit this month from last month. But those were both higher than I think people uh, had been expecting. And so what a lot of people said was, that, oh, this miss is about the rents. Now, that's at least the second month in a row we've heard that the miss is about rents. Um, and, and here's here's the, uh, the newsflash. Rents aren't collapsing. Rents are decelerating. They will continue to do so for a while. You know, rents had been rising at, you know, 7% plus. Um, and, and part of that was a was a rebound for when they were rents were held down unnaturally uh, with the eviction moratorium. You guys remember that eviction moratorium back in in you know, during COVID, and that held rents down artificially. Once that was removed, rents accelerated quite a bit and sort of caught up, and and now they're kind of decelerating again. But you know, people had gotten very animated about the possibility that rents would be in deflation. And that's partly because 
It's partly because, you know, the last time we had an appreciable Fed tightening was during the housing bubble. And so when that bubble was pricked, we had home prices go into deflation and we had rents go into deflation. Um, but that was in a bubble. And so people sort of drew the wrong conclusions and said every time you tighten, then you get de deflation in rents. Um, but that had never really happened before, and it's not likely to happen since, unless we have a housing bubble. And there's no sign really that we have a housing bubble. We seem to have a shortage of housing. And even though there are uh, apartments being finished and, and um, uh, you know, more roofs being built, um, we have many more people needing a roof these days because we've had quite a bit of immigration. Um, and so... I, it, it's it's difficult to sort of see from the supply and demand side why you would expect in, you know rents to go down, and from the cost side, by the way, the cost for landlords keeps going up, and so again, I'm not sure why you'd expect landlords to lower the rent if their costs are going up, unless they just can't find people to rent, and that hasn't been a problem. Um, the other reason that people sort of thought there'd be deflation is because you know there are these high frequency rent indices out there. <clears throat> And back in episode 74, I talked about kind of one of the, the uh, episode 74 was um, inflation folk remedies. Um, and, and there's a link in the, in the show notes. Um, and, and one of the things I talked about was this influential paper um, where but even the authors sort of acknowledged that what they were doing wasn't quite kosher, but a lot of people got very excited. Essentially, what, the, what this paper said was that you could take the, the official data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics and take the same amount of information but squeeze it differently and get more information out of it, um, which doesn't fit with information theory, but everyone got very excited because when you do that, you, got the no, you, you, could, you could see that we were shortly going to be in rent in deflation in rents and that that rhymed with the fact that some of the high frequency rent indices like zillow rents and and you know, redfin whatever not redfin but <clears throat> some of the other uh, rent indices um were also suggesting that asking rents were coming down hard now the thing you need to realize about that part of it is that those rent indices were not designed to be rent indices. They're generally um, offshoots of businesses like Zillow um, or uh, Apartment List, you know, who have a business of renting apartments and just happen to have data as a consequence of that, and so put out an index. There's no natural reason to think that's going to be a really good measure of the you know average you know the change in average rents over the for the nation. <clears throat> so, because they're going to tend to, to you know, uh, overemphasize, uh, overweight uh, rents where they happen to have a lot of business, right? And that is not likely to be sort of a fair uh, disposition of what rents in the nation are doing. There clearly are parts of the country where rents are in decline. There are parts of the country where people are immigrating away from. And, um, and there's always going to be places where rents are going down, but we're talking about generalized rent declines, and that's A, kind of rare, B, very rare when you talk about being in an inflationary environment where 
costs, you know, overall prices are going up at four or five percent a year. And C, extremely, extremely rare when the costs, direct costs to landlords, including things like taxes, uh, are going up so appreciably. So, again, whether you look at it from the cost side or some of the more traditional things, lagging home prices and stuff like that, there was never any real reason to think that rents were going to go into deflation. My models, from both from the cost side and from the kind of more traditional lagging you know, lagging uh, uh, home price indicators, <clears throat> both sort of suggest that we'll end up with rents in the 2 to 3% annualized level by middle of this year, a little bit after the middle of this year, and then they'll go back up a little bit. You know, that that's kind of the low. And, um, and, and that's unfortunate if you're expecting core inflation to get down, you know, to 2%, um, and for the Fed to kind of get to target, it's not likely to happen when rents are at 3% and then start going back up because that's just a big part of the uh, uh, of the CPI. And the only reason that we're as low as we are, core inflation is uh, about 3.9% year and year after today's figure and a little bit lower than that on a three-month and six-month basis. Um, the only reason we're that low is that this deceleration of rents has come at the same time as we had core goods going from a really high number to a really low number, you know, something close to flat. And so you're not going to get any more oomph from core goods. We're not going to go into a hard deflation in core goods anytime real soon. And so, you know, you, you, you take that, those two pieces, and you add to that sort of super core, and it just gets really, really hard to figure out how you can plausibly get back um, to a 2% um, target. So let's, let's go on beyond rents, though, um, uh, because today was uh, there was this tendency, like I said, for people to say, well, that's just rents. We had rents that were too high, but other than that, the, the number's kind of good. But that's not really true. Um, if it was just rents, you know, that's still, okay, it's still the largest part of CPI and we should care about it. But median inflation was something like 0.42%. I calculated it as, as 0.42%. As I as I sit here, we haven't yet gotten the official number, but it'll be pretty close to that. And and three of the last four median inflation numbers have been around that number, meaning that it's tracking around, you know, mid fours to low fives. Um, and so, if median is that high, it means it's not just uh, sheltered. There's there's other stuff going on. And you know, this month uh, there was sort of a surprise from used cars. Used car prices um, have been especially weird recently. Um, they were they were up this month, about a half percent month on month. My models, and I think the general consensus, if you look at Calshi traders, was for about a two percent decline in used car prices. And if you look at Black Book and you look at you know, any of the, the the private surveys. It sort of suggests, and but it has for a while, it has suggested that used car inflation should have been a little bit lower than what's actually been coming out. Um, but um, but you know what, airline airfares have been squirrely in the other in the other way, being a little bit lower than they should have been given what was happening to to uh, to jet fuel prices. So those things kind of offset. But 
But today, used cars did come in with a small gain. Um, airfares rose 1%, which was just about exactly what they should have given what happened to jet fuel. Um, so, so anyway, but there, so there were other things going on other than just rents. Um, it wasn't like everything else suddenly was, is looking gorgeous except for rents. Um, but look, the bottom line here is that we are seeing inflation decelerate. That's, we've all been expecting that for a while. I've been expecting that for a while. For a long time, I've said inflation will settle eventually in the high threes, low fours. Um, but be hard to push much below that. Nothing in today's number changes that. I mean, what today's number could change, really more of the constellation of, of the last couple of numbers and probably the next couple we get, um, is is if you're thinking that the Fed has just slammed inflation right back down to uh, to its target, I mean, the only way you get a number that looks vaguely like that is if you take the headline number and you, over a short, you know, a few month time horizon and you annualize it, then you say, oh, okay, we're at 2%. But that's because gasoline prices have been under pressure for a while. Not that gasoline prices don't matter, but, you know, it's not going to be, given how far gasoline has come down from the highs, it's not going to go down a similar amount next year. So again, you're not going to get that, that, that following win the next time around. So where do you get, that's the reason we look at core is that it's, it's hard to replicate those big changes in food and energy prices. Um, anyway, so the, my target for a long time has been low threes, high fours, Still looks like that's where we're going to be at. We might go a little bit lower than that heading into the, the second half of the year, but then we're going to kind of bounce back up because, like I said, uh, we're going to get um, rent prices going, rents going back up. Um, but the other thing um, is that wages have remained stubbornly high. God, that's not bad. Wages haven't remained stubbornly high. The The rate of wage growth. The last four months, the Atlanta wage growth tracker has been at 5.2% year on year. Um, and, and I say it all the time, the Atlanta Fed's wage growth tracker is the way you want to track uh, wages. It's, it's like median wages, whereas the average hourly earnings is, is, uh, is an average number. And so, you know, around year end, when you get all kinds of changes in the composition of the labor force, um, and tr- or the composition of the changes in the labor force, you get really crazy. You can get some really crazy moves. The wage growth tracker is a much better way to measure it. And one of the ways you know this is if you look at the, the Atlanta Fed's wage growth tracker and you subtract the, the Cleveland Fed's median inflation, you get, you have over a long period of time gotten something roughly 1%. So real wages being roughly 1% ahead on a median basis over median inflation. In this most recent spike, inflation went up faster than wages, and so that became negative. Real wages in any, any way you wanted to measure it were negative, but that's, that's now um, uh, returning to normal. But it's returning to normal by inflation coming down um, to something like low threes, high fours, versus the wages being you know, low uh, low fives, high fours. So 
you know, that's that's your one percent there. And unless you get wages to suddenly start going down or decelerating a lot more, then again, then that that kind of feeds into super core, which feeds into inflation. Again, this this stuff all kind of you know all of the things that tend to be stable tend to be mean reverting are mean reverting. They're just mean reverting at a much higher level than people want to have them mean reverting. I guess that's sort of the long and the long and the short of it. Um, the um, so wages are remaining sticky, super cores remaining sticky, rents are stickier than people had expected. That leads naturally to the question, does that sound like a good environment to start easing into? Because that's ultimately the question here is, you know, for, for investors, it's, you know, uh, it's obviously what's happening to the value of your money. But more immediately, what's the Fed going to do to hopefully help preserve the the value of your money, which they've done a very poor job of recently. And um, nothing there sounds to me like the Fed should stop reducing its balance sheet or start dropping interest rates. Um, you know, again, we're going to get some good numbers over the next few months, but pretty transparently, you know, not going down to where everyone kind of wants them to be. So, um, I think that's. I think that the the markets are likely to be in for a little bit of a difficult run over the next couple of months, just because the reality. You know, we've gone from this this belief in the last quarter. We saw you know ten year yields plunge over the last you know, quarter or so, because oh the Fed has won, inflation is back down to two percent, and the Fed can start easing. You know, they, and the Fed pivoted to being more balanced and, and potentially more dovish. Okay, but now it's, it's we're in to show me, and we're not going to get the show me. And so when that happens, you're going to see markets go back to discounting something more reasonable, and that's going to be as rough for the next quarter. I mean, not as rough, but it's going to be rough for the next quarter in the same way that that last quarter was was very nice. Is that's what I think is going to happen. And if you want to hear more about what I think is going to happen, uh, next week's podcast is going to be, uh, you know, uh, essentially the call to action for 2024. What I think that investors ought to be doing right now, not necessarily fire and forget for a year, but kind of given the balance of risks, where, you know, where would I be sort of positioned? Uh, and uh, so I think that's going to be worth tuning into. Okay, answering the trivia question, what is Alfred Winslow Jones generally credited with creating? He created, 1949, he created the first hedged fund. Uh, not hedge fund, he called it the hedged fund, and he was very, uh, he was always annoyed that people would drop the D and call it a hedge fund. Um, he was, I, I say he was credited with creating because a lot of the parts of his structure had been sort of done before in different ways, but he was one of the first really to use in, in a structure where he was going to collect 20% of the, of the upside, um, he was one of the first to use leverage to have both longs and shorts, allowing him to reduce the overall risk to the market while increasing exposure to good securities bets on both the long and the short side, which today we would say is, is decreasing your beta exposure to the market while increasing the alpha of good management. Um, and from that, we have had many, many thousands of hedge funds ever since. So thanks, Alfred Winslow Jones. That's all for today's podcast. 
Please like, subscribe, refer others. It's a new year. You should resolve to refer people to the Inflation Guy podcast and the Inflation Guy blog. You can contact me at inflationguy at enduringinvestments.com. Many of you have, and I appreciate that. Subscribe for free to the blog at inflationguy.blog. Follow me on X, Twitter at, at inflation underscore guy. And of course, visit Enduring Investments if you have an inflation challenge and want to talk more about inflation. But most importantly, just as true in 2024 as it was prior to this, defend your money. And if inflation is coming for you, remember, you know a guy.